Good morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we talk about the movie Gross Point Blank, one minute at a time. I'm Deb. And I'm Hugh. And on today's show, we're going to be looking at minute 24. Martin Q. Blank, our protagonist, played by John Cusack, is in the middle of what will be an existential crisis as he stands in the middle of the Ultimart convenience store, which is located where his home used to be. And he has rung his shrink, Dr. Oatman, desperate for some help. And joining us on today's show and has been joining us this week is Darren Husted. Darren, uh, Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Oh, I, uh, I mean, in the podcasting world, um, you know, I've done a few podcasts. Um, you know, uh, when Prince died, I was a huge Prince fan. I was heartbroken, obviously. Uh, so I decided I would do a podcast where I talked about every single one of his songs that he'd released. And considering that he's got 39 studio albums, that's, you know, mm. about 500 songs. Uh, and I managed to do that in two years. Um, wow. and then, and then a week after I'd finished that podcast, I went to Paisley park in, uh, oh, in wow. Minneapolis and, you know, saw where he recorded some of the songs that I talked about. Um, have you, uh, have you talked about the story of the, the safe that was found in his house? The safe? Are you talking about the vault? Oh, the vault. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. We know about the vault. Yeah. 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 I, I, I find that just incredible that that this artist had who was already incredibly prolific had so much additional stuff that he had created that he just did not feel was good enough to yeah uh, i made it very clear when i started the podcast i would not be covering anything that came out of the vault (laughs) i was like that's fair i was like i've got to round this off with the 39 studio albums he did while he was alive if they keep releasing stuff which they have done they've kept releasing (laughs) stuff uh, you know, mostly it's been expanded versions of, you know, his biggest selling albums. So, you know, Purple Rain, Sign of Times, uh, recently Diamonds and Pearls, you know, which has got like a seven CD, like 150 mm. pound, like set that's come out, um, you know, but I was mm. like, I'm not covering all those extra tracks that are on all those. And then there was, there's also been like two, no, three albums of stuff that he'd recorded and then just put to one side. There was a whole album called yeah. Welcome to America that he did in like, 2013 or something recorded a whole album did a few music videos it was all ready to go he even had the tour called welcome to america tour and then he just put it into the vault and was like nah i don't want to release it and then he he kept the tour name he still it says welcome and he just he just toured a completely different album he like yeah you know so i was like no i'm definitely 100 not covering anything that comes out from the yeah. vault uh, you know, that's just, it's insanity. Uh, like, literally, the amount of stuff he recorded, I would literally never finish that podcast. It would just be going forever. Um, but I did but a bonus thing wanting... at the end, after oh. I cover, after I finished covering Prince, I did um, Stevie Wonder's albums in the 70s, the classics. That he, yeah, from 72 yes. to um, 76 or 77. Nice. No, not 77. I didn't, I stopped before Journey Through the Life of Plants. I've, I got up okay. to, you know, um, songs in the key of life and then i was i was yeah. like that's it i don't need to i don't need to be doing hotter than july i don't need to be going any further than that let's stick with the good stuff from the 70s and let's just finish with that album um yeah. you know <clears throat> i must admit the one thing i would like to hear uh come out of the vaults is the uh i, I remember sometime in the late 80s where we going to be somebody talking about the fact that uh before he died miles davis did a couple of club nights yeah, him. 
yeah. Clinton Sage. And I'm a massive Miles Davis fan. He did, he didn't I, just do like some live stuff. They they were in the studio at Paisley Park for like that's six heard. months. I'd heard yeah. the rumor. But there's like a full there's a full album about like fifteen twenty tracks somewhere. apparently. Yeah. So but yeah <laughs> yeah this is one of the great lost missing things yeah. because the thing because of course you know we all you know those of us who are fans of Miles know how close he came to recording with Jimi Hendrix, and it all came down to money and apparently because it was Jimmy's manager trying to organize it. I and mean, apparently Miles was like, yeah, no, call me back when you've got a, you're the higher figure. And Jimmy was like, man, I'm fed up with that. Cat. Well, we're done. Let's just get, let's just do this album. Um, and of course, Jimmy would die soon after. And it's, it's like one of those great lost opportunities. You know, I've, it's one of those things I've always said, if you, you, know, you die and you wake up and you're like, you can hear there's certain people you should hear jamming together. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and that includes Jimmy and Miles, and like, you've, and now Prince. And if you're not hearing them, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> I think it was uh, like 1988. They were like in the studio for like yep, something like that. Yeah, yeah. for like for about, like on and off for about six months. And there was yeah, rumor that I, they had like about it, like a 12 or 13 track album ready to go. I know. And then Prince just, was just oh. like. I'm not feeling feeling yeah. this anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. That's his right, you know. In an era of of like fans going on and on about stuff, I feel like that was his right. It's his music. He was the creator. We don't get to say we own it. You know, we get to enjoy it. We get to love it. We get to live it afterwards. But in the end, if he says nope, it's not what I want out there. That's his choice. Yeah. yeah. But then, hey, you know, look at Paul. Look at the film business. Sometimes it's uh, Paul Cusack still churning out films for, for Sony that are really, quite frankly, not the best of things and certainly not making the best use of him as an actor. Um, you know, and I think that's a real, real shame. Um, because this 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 was his first product his first film as producer, Gross Point Blank, and it you know, this this sets a te- it's it's something of a template for his later for for his future productions that we know him for, but it really it should have been bigger, maybe. I mean, it's cult. You know, Dev loves it to bits. I love it. It's cult. It's not runaway success. It's not Disney dragging it out for a, and dusting it off for a 4K remaster like this year. Now, you know, uh, and that's sad because I think it deserves that. You know, I mean, as long as it doesn't become big enough that they just decide to do a a, a complete recasting of it and just, you know film it again because well that's the problem isn't it that's what they do with everything now yep <clears throat> sadly so uh i wouldn't want to see a recasting of it i don't think in fact what i'd like to see is come on we're getting freaking oap action stars in expendables and whatnot <laughs> like i'm pretty sure cusack could do a perfectly reasonable you know slightly hacked off martin q blank <laughs> film now I mean, I could kind of see him in, uh, like, a, the Hitman's Bodyguard kind of a role. Even. Oh, completely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that kind of thing in the Sam Jackson role. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Or or if we really wanted it to be funny, right, he'd be in the Dr. Oatman role. And then it would be revealed <laughs> that he's a, he's the ex-killer. That could be really, really interesting. And, of course, that brings us back to our minute. Dr. Oatman, uh, who we talked about in a previous episode, because it's the great, the late, great Alan Arkin, yeah. one of the most wonderful voices and faces in, in Hollywood. 
uh, you know, renowned from from several classic eras of film, but to most of us these days, you know, we've seen him pop up in all sorts of odd roles in films. He's endeared himself to a whole new generation of fans. Um, and here, he's nothing like the character as written in the scripts. He's it's almost like they just said, "Oh, we've cast Alan Arkin, so that's the character." <laughs> Basically, Dev. Yes, absolutely. I. I find it interesting. So we every so often we've referenced the the kind of somewhat revised version of the script that was close to filming but not quite there. And the voicemail that Martin leaves is pretty much word for word. But in the original version, there's no Oakman in his office on the opposite end. It's just Martin leaving a voicemail. Okay. And 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 I think that having Oatman there adds so much more to this call. Yeah. And obviously, it never would have worked with with Oatman as he was originally written, as we discussed a few weeks ago. But just watching Oatman like reach out to pick up the phone, realize who it is, pull his hand back, turn around, walk back to the couch he was sleeping on, lie down on it, and then put a pillow over his head so that he just doesn't <laughs> have to listen to it. Um. It's yeah, possibly not what a therapist should do, but I'm not entirely sure any of us blame him for doing it. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the other thing I thought was interesting is when we talked about the initial scene of him and there's a sense of confrontation between the two when then it turns out it's because he basically has been taken hostage <laughs> for his appointment. Yeah. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting is that because Arkin is such a, a Bond villain-like presence insofar as you know the severe wire-rimmed glasses and you know, the the completely bald head and the very kind of brusque, almost mafiosi approach to his dialogue, it, it the, the the tension rests very much in like there's a point where and I would love to know how they did it, where, you know, his vein is just standing out down <laughs> his head, right? And and like that's the sign to the camera that this guy is super stressed, but it's not coming out in how he speaks. And then when he, when he, when Martin leaves, he doesn't like rush to the door in a lesser comedy way. It would be like close the door and go, <gasps> you know. He just stands there and goes, uh, yeah, 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 come on, you know, go, go enjoy yourself. And he's like, uh, yeah, no, I'll. Uh, um, uh, what what is the joke Cusack makes about shooting something? He says. I'll give it a shot. Don't, I'll give no, it a no, no, shot. No, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot don't anybody. Shoot, yeah, don't kill. Don't shoot anything. Don't kill anybody. And that's when you realize the sheer kind of volume of tension here. And so, like mm-hmm. this scene now, I would not be surprised if they filmed this like immediately after the last scene. He's dressed the same uh, way. It's the same yeah. set. But there is something about the way it feels like a logical follow-on as you say he's just all of that tension just suddenly like compresses it do i need to go on the sofa it's absolutely hysterical it's a brilliant yeah. punchline because it's basically the punchline to the earlier scene but we've but we've actually had all of this time getting away from the earlier scene yeah yeah Very i was so, the other day uh i mean i've been re-watching recently uh some david mamet films and i re-watched Ooh, lovely. Uh, glenn gary glenn ross and, yeah. you know, uh, uh, in, a, in a film that is literally just like start to finish, like every single performance is great. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it's not a huge role for Alan Arkin in that film, because obviously he's one of the, the, you know, he's not, well, he's not Al Pacino. So he doesn't get to mm-hmm. spend a lot of the film yelling and stuff. 
Um, but you know, I think it was it, you know he was some good color as to like one of the kind of the other salesmen who were basically kind of like getting annoyed that like Al Pacino's character Ricky Roma is is the one who's getting all the decent leads and he's and it's like yeah. his frustration of being like I'm trying you know I'm I've got the same job as him I'm trying to get stuff done I'm trying to make sales but everyone keeps like Ricky Roma keeps getting all the spotlight and his like frustration and stuff uh, you know it's just a great performance. Um, mm. You know, and I, I, it's yeah. weird because I think the last one that I saw him in at the cinema uh, was over here. It's called Christmas with the Coopers, but elsewhere it's mm. known as Love the Coopers, uh, starring yep. a young Timothy Chalamet. Um, mm. And his character in that film spends most of it trying to come on to um, the waitress, which I think is Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> so she's like, I don't know, 50 years younger than him. It's a bit of a weird storyline, quite frankly. Um, cause he keeps imagining himself as a younger man so that he can justify coming on to man to save And I'm like, wow, bit of a odd, you know, um, and spoiler alert for, uh, love the Coopers slash Christmas with the Coopers. The film is narrated by Steve Martin, who it turns out is the voice of a dog. Um, so oh. the family dog is narrating this Christmas story, which contains a lot of divorce and people getting arrested. And at one point, Anthony Mackie plays a gay cop who's in the closet, um, who arrests Marissa Tomai. It's, you know, so that's two MCU people like, you know, crossing over. Mm-hmm. It's just a whole lot of, it's a very strange film. By the end of it, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Um, mm. But yeah, you know. So that was the last time I like saw a performance of Alan Arkins like on the big screen. Uh, if you don't count Minions: The Rise of Gru. Uh, oh, but we must count Minions. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we did not see Alan Arkin in that. We just yeah. Well, that's, that's why I was saying. That's why I said you know yeah. Christmas with the Coopers. That was like the last. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the last thing I saw Minion was uh, Spencer Confidential on Netflix, which was. Mm, as somebody who adored the original Spencer novels in the 80, in the seventies and eighties, I kind of had to kind of just put the books to one side and go, "Okay, this is nothing like them. Let me enjoy everyone who's in it for for the film that it is." Um, and yeah, but again, it wasn't exactly a stretch for him. Um, what the hell is that so, film? Uh, what, never, Confidential? never ever heard of it. So I mean, so I remember Spencer. Mar- Mar- I remember Spencer for Hire. Yeah, so basically, uh, yeah, it's that. But the thing is that when the author died, as with a lot of properties, they brought in a whole bunch of ghostwriters to carry it on. Yeah. And that meant, because because of the age of the character, they had to basically, you know, a la Bond or something, or any other, well, any other franchise, you have to do a reset, basically. Okay. So in the reset, it's he's you know he he gets falsely imprisoned, teaches, becomes you know a legal expert in prison, comes out, which is partially in the original character, right? But in the film version, it's a Mark Wahlberg film with Wahlberg as Spencer, so it's much more about the oh I'm I'm the ex cop who gets got sent down and now I'm a con ex con type of thing, and it's directed by Peter Berg, who oh, did, yes. who directed Wahlberg in Mile Twenty Two and. Tons uh, of other stuff. Loads of films. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so basically, it's that kind of it's it's, it's them doing an urban actioner. Um, it I you know passes the time. It's all right. Ilsa Schlesinger, the the, the stand up plays his girlfriend, which is nothing like the character in the books. But hey, whatever. <laughs> you know, they were trying to set. They're trying to kick off another franchise for Netflix, and I haven't seen or heard anybody say, "Oh yeah, there's going to be a second one." So I doubt it succeeded. But um, yeah, yeah, that is super you know. weird that that. Well, also got Winston Duke, of course, from yeah. Wakanda oh, he's Forever. amazing in it. Yeah, but then and every Woodburn. version. 
who's yeah. I always like. So every version of Spencer there's ever been, there's been three TV versions of Spencer. There's the original TV series Spencer for Hire with Robert Eric, and that had um, Avery Brooks as Hawk. And they always get Hawk right because yeah. he's so freaking cool. And then in the TV movie versions with Robert Mantegna in the nineties. Oh god, who do they get? I've forgotten who they got for Hawks, but every time Hawk is the guy they get right, and they never quite get Spencer right, which is hysterical. Uh, and Winston Duke is just—he's Winston Duke, man. He's just so cool. Uh, absolutely, he's the best thing in the film. And should, if, you, if if for nothing else, you should just watch it for him being the dude that he is. You know, the, f- the funny thing is, like, obviously being a huge Deep Space Nine fan and an Avery Brooks mm. fan, who you know, if you've ever seen the Captain's documentary um, that yes. William Shatner did. Avery Brooks yep. is insane. He's unhinged. He's just like off the yep. wall. Um, yeah. But I do remember, I like, even though it basically only ran for like two months, I do remember him having a spin off of a man called Hawk. Where yes, which he was, was also fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think I ever saw any episodes, but when Deep Space Nine started, it was like, oh, yeah, and Avery Brooks. And it was because obviously, yeah. basically, nobody in that cast was super famous. Like, they well, yeah. nobody was Patrick Stewart famous. Let's put it like that. Or, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's his face? Who does all the reading with the with the eyes and the Jordy uh, Lafleur? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, but, the th- but that was the thing. To, yeah. When 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 he got cast in DS Nine, me and my friends, we spent like our every every season of the first three seasons going, when are they going to let him be like you know get, <laughs> be hawk like? And then of course the moment he grew the beard, we we're like, oh, he's coming. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Like, Lord, he's a coming. <laughs> as soon as he shaved his head and got the goatee, people were like, yes, yeah. this is it. This is Avery. Bro- this is this why is you it. cast Avery Brooks because that's you this know. is why you cast Avery Brooks. You yeah. Know? So I remember. Uh, I just he, remember talk of like a man called Hawk, but I never ever watched it. Yeah. But I was just so that's the only framing that I had for it. Yeah. Um, I mean basically it was a one man A team is basically what it was. Okay. You know, so fun. I mean if you want to feel super old, Alan Arkin's son, Adam, is now the same oh, yes. age is now the same age that he was when Alan Arkin was in this film. So Oh God. Okay, now wow. I feel old <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah. So you know, if if you were to do this film today, Adam Arkin could play the the role of the psychiatrist because he's the same age as Dad. That's depressing. That's really depressing. Oh, thank you for that. Well, you know, I just thought I just what we needed. I just thought I'd make you feel super old for a moment there. But yeah, no, I mean, who doesn't love Adam Arkin? He's great. I mean. You know, uh, Sunshine Cleaning is a great film that he's, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny because obviously he did Little Miss Sunshine and then after that there's like a series of films where he kind of basically played the same role in like a three or four films after that where he's like a grumpy grandpa who's kind of like, you know. So it's it's really weird because he, you know, much like all the, you know, all the old guys in The Expendables, like he got ca- he got kind of typecast in a weird way where he was playing mm. roughly the same character in like, you know, Marley and May and, you know, mm, Argo mm, and, yeah. you know, Incredible mm. Burt Wonderstone. Like, it's the same kind of, like, slightly grumpy older man, um, mm. you know. But, uh, yeah, you know, he, he's really good. And I do like the fact that, like, well, you know, you mentioned the script and, you know, you sent me a copy. And in it, like, in the original script, obviously, there's a lot of mentions of 7-Eleven, Ultimart. But the funny thing is, it was, like, the, in the original script, it's meant to be a payphone that he's calling mm. from but obviously mm-hmm. because time has moved on <laughs> you know yeah. you know rather than have him go to a payphone you know he's he's just you know yeah. standing there in you know right next to the all the fridges which you know look like mini fridges next to the gigantic frame of 
John Cusack. Um, and, you know, he he's just making the call on a cell phone. So, you know, it's like a noticeable change. Uh, like you say, like, yeah, the and, dialogue isn't a huge change, but like that's just, that's just one thing that makes the scene slightly different because he's, you know, he gets to say, "I'm standing in where I should, what should be my living room," <laughs> uh, you know, mm, and mm. you know. But I also like the detail that they've got, like um, obviously they've got like a load of beers in the fridge and stuff like that. And obviously we we talked about the layout of this in the previous minute, uh, but I like that they've put, you know, we ID you know, Michigan, you can see that. So obviously the, you know, like they're saying that they need like Michigan ID, uh, but also the, yeah. that fridge is filled with Fago. Um, yeah. Which, again, which I didn't even realize was a real soda company. Until <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen that. But it's specifically oh, wow. associated with Michigan. Yeah. So that's like a great detail because somebody's obviously like, well, if we've got to fill these fridges up, what can we get that's cheap that's not like Pepsi or Coke? Right. <laughs> that like is something that would identify it as being Michigan. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Fago is a perfectly, you know, that's just a nice little detail. Someone obviously knew what they were doing. Like I said, the, and, the, and this the is... Red Wings hat in the previous minute like made it made me believe we were in Detroit, but now they've got Fago in there. It's completely sad. That really sells it, and the Stroll uh, mm. poster in the back as well. Stroll's uh, beer in the background. Yeah. Um, but uh, one thing that I find interesting is like this is from a time before uh, product placement was pervasive, right? Like I'm, I'm sure there were product placement in movies at this time. Yeah, well, but I it's mean, not to Wayne, the extent Wayne's where World it was like what, 90... the inclusion of the brands. Wayne's World was like ninety-two. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, so right. The, and they'd already commented on kind of explicit product payment as a joke. So yeah, it was. But mm-hmm. like you know, aside, unless you're funding a Bond movie and you need him to constantly look at a very expensive watch every five minutes mm. so that we can see the branding. Right. Yeah, but mm. I mean, I, I I don't mind product placement because the thing is having this called an Ultimart kind of throws you a little bit more out than it just being a 7-Eleven. If it's a 7-Eleven, you don't notice it. But the yeah. fact that it's a fake brand, um, you know, that that always kind of throws me off, you know. And I, right. I, I mean, I love Law and & Order, uh, and obviously it's many, hmm. many spin-offs. But the fact that every single search engine they have on screen is a is like a brand new fake search engine. Like there are there are websites that are dedicated to tracking all of the fake websites that they use yeah. on Law and Order. Yeah. And it always like there was there was an episode a few years ago where this guy is meant to be like the a billionaire and he's a head of like a tech company and the tech company is effectively Uber, but obviously they can't say Uber because you can't have yeah. like the head of Uber be yep. like a serial rapist or something. So they came up with a like a completely fake brand for like a taxi like you know app and then everybody in the episode is meant to pretend like oh yeah we've been using it for years and it's really big and then the next episode nobody's ever going to mention it again and it just completely takes you out of like the entire experience. So I you know I like that they put some fago back there because that does make it seem a bit more like genuinely yeah. you're in Michigan. Yeah, you know. yeah. Fago, there's Volvic, there's Miller Lite. It's, it feels, it makes it feel more real than, you know, having uh, cups and and containers that are placed in such a way that you can never actually see the branding on them because the company didn't pony up to yeah to have that kind of placement. <laughs> A suspiciously shaped bottle that you definitely know is meant to be Coke, but it's always pointed with the logo away from camera, so you can never really yeah. confirm it. 
Um, you the know. Formula One Marlborough barcode, right? Mm. Or if you've got like a you know a vending machine and it just says drinks on the side, and it's like I've never seen a, like literally ever like a, a machine that is full of cans that doesn't at least have some kind of logo of one of those cans on yeah. there, you know? Yeah, very much so. I, I I'll give well, the, the for all the things I over the years have said I don't like about Tarantino's way of doing things. One of the things I do think is clever and funny was his creation of the whole set of brands that are within his universes. You yeah, know, and, and and the way you could go through the first three or four films and the you know the the branding is clear that the cigarettes you know who's smoking what cigarettes and who's drinking what burger joints and I thought that was kind of fun because actually it just made it a lot easier um although of course you know if you know your morley cigarettes you know your fake brand you know that's one of the classic prop cigarettes uh in 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 hollywood uh something like 60 years i think it's been yeah 60 years morley cigarettes have been used in films television shows and video games there's uh, also let's yeah 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 which was mostly, mostly made famous in Community because on that, there's, yeah, <laughs> they, they actually community. kind of they kind of place it so that people are like, take your hat, get your hands off my lets, and it's it's just like yeah. becomes like it's a so whole in universe kind of branding thing. It's, just, it's very very funny. Yeah, but that everything about Community doing that, I mean, they did yeah. that so well. It was just the best thing about that show. It was just the way they just played with every possible aspect of filmmaking and TV, and oh, I love that. I love that show. <sighs> Right, so Dev, where are we at with uh, our wonderful um, Doctor Oatman? I feel like we've talked about him and not enough about what's being recorded on his voicemail. I mean, we we can talk about this. I've quoted it, I think, at least three times in the show so far. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, do you know what what is what is it? It's telling us about Martin, right? Because in the last couple of episodes, we've been focused on Martin psychology. Yeah, we've absolutely. Been, we've, been focusing, and, we've been focusing on Oatman's reaction here. Yes, and and this is probably the most vulnerable we see Martin Blank in his conversations with Oatman. Right, mm. this is where he's actually reaching out to somebody because he needs help, mm-hmm. um, and it's Oatman that he's reaching out to, which is it is kind of interesting. Um, and the fact that Oatman doesn't answer, obviously, is, you know, pretty telling uh, on on Oatman's part. But it, it gives us a, an opportunity to relate to Martin Blank in a way that I don't think we normally do. Um, generally speaking, he's very calm. He's very composed. He's frequently doing things that, let's face it, most of us don't do. Um, and in this situation, you know, he's just gone back to what he was expecting to be his house to p- probably quite an awkward conversation with his mother, mm-hmm. who it seems like he hasn't spoken to in probably 10 years or something mm-hmm. close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead he's in a store and, and he's trying to think who he can reach out to. And his first choice is open and that goes nowhere. And the second choice is um, Marcella, right? Mm. And with Marcella, it's obviously a very different relationship. He's not asking for advice. He's giving instruction, mm-hmm. uh, which takes us to what will be the the next minute, really. And we see one quick 
glimpse of it at the end of this minute as as he walks towards uh, a woman sat on a sofa uh, in what's clearly a uh, a care facility or a you know a retirement community. I feel like it's more likely a care facility in this, especially given the conversations that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that we see a very brief glimpse of in this minute uh, are two characters that Hugh, you and I have already seen in this film. Um, oh, yes. Darren, Darren has joined us after uh, the introduction of these two characters. And um, one of them in particular is uh, quite a well-known name for those of us that have uh, watched TV in the last 30, 40 years, um, which is the two federal agents that uh, seem to be following Martin Blank and uh, we, you know, we know that have been set on Martin by uh, our other friend, uh, Mr. Grocer. Um, so this is the two federal agents. Uh, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, which is killing me. That's okay because uh, we don't know yet, really. I was going to say, um, like, are we, do we know what agency they work for at this point or what their names are? Like, I don't think any of that information has come out yet, has it? Yeah. We don't know their names. We get their names from Marcella later on in the film. Yeah. Uh, we do know... We've got a pretty clear idea that they're... It's, I mean, Stephen Martin official. and Kenneth McCullers are the characters, but, like... That's it's right. More, yeah. what, we, what we're more likely to recognise as filmgoers when we saw it originally is the actors. Yes. Um... Yes, uh, but uh, in the first scene that we saw them in, which was last week, um, we get an introduction to them as as everybody's driving into Gross Point, uh, and they kind of go through like their history and reading the file, and we also mm-hmm. know that um, Grocer is the one that set them on on Martin. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the big thing here, obviously is that it's uh, K. Todd Freeman and Hank Azaria yeah, uh, absolutely. that are in this. So Which, Cementing the connection we were talking about in a previous episode with The Simpsons where we were talking about the Quickie Mart versus the Ultimate. It all, all just seems to be, you know, it's all circling around the same things, right? It's all coming together. <laughs> kind of crazy. I mean, you say The Simpsons, but to me, you know... Um... Hank Azaria, like the, I, I don't think like the Simpsons was the first time that I like saw him. I'm almost certain there was some other. Am I going crazy? Was he not on? I think Herman's Head is probably where I remember him from. Like, oh wow! Yeah, which also had um, Thingamajig who plays Lisa. <laughs> She's only been doing it for. 30 something years Yardley Smith it also had it also had Yardley oh, Smith yes. on um okay. and Jane Sibbett who later went on to appear in Friends um and Molly Hagan who appeared on I think a couple of episodes of Deep Space Nine um wow yeah I mean <laughs> yeah uh, Hank Azaria has quite a storied past he's he he was in Pretty Woman as a detective he cameos in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air yeah. in 1990 so I mean He's in Tales from the Crypt in an episode. Yep. Um, has been in a, a huge number of things. Obviously, he was um, Animal in Godzilla, uh, the the what I think of as the American Godzilla, because yeah. I know there have been a million different 
Godzilla's yeah. both Japanese and American, but the yeah. one that I remember, um, he's he's pretty prominent in that as well. I mean, um, weird. When I saw him in uh, Heat, I was like, oh, that's that guy from Herman's Head. Um, okay. I, I don't, I don't yeah. think I was like, that's the guy from The Simpsons, because I'm not sure at that point. No, 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 no we didn't. Yeah, yeah we didn't Where, know who. But, but I, I did know him. I knew him from Quiz Show. Um, yeah. Because Quiz, Quiz Show had one hell of a cast. There's a film people don't talk about a lot anymore, but it was a cracking movie. Um, real proper, like, grown up drama that. I remember seeing in a packed cinema. I can't imagine that kind of film packing out a cinema these days. Uh, and every little part in it is perfectly cast, and he's one of them. Um, but then, yeah, Heat was probably the next time I think I saw him, and then Gross Point Blank. I mean, obviously, and then after that, yeah, The Birdcage. He did. He managed to do a chance to, you know, put on a voice, mm. which is obviously something mm. that he has been doing for the last thirty something years. <laughs> so. I think yeah. that that attracted people's attention because I don't think his character is the same as what Hank Azaria is. Like, isn't he? I, I don't know. He's meant to be some kind of nationality that Hank Azaria definitely is not. As as a number <laughs> of voices, as a number of voices on The Simpsons were. Um, yeah. You know, yes. Yeah. Uh, Somewhat controversially. Yeah, I like but... the fact that by the time he gets so fast forward from '97 and Grossmont Blank, by the time he gets to 2004, I remember seeing Dodgeball in the cinema and everyone going, "Yay!" when he turns up as Young yeah. Patches. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like he got to that point now, uh, he, without having you know a major leading role in terms of his own face. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, I was one of the few people who actually saw Mystery Men in the cinema. Oh, so I remember too. seeing him in so that, and obviously good. by that point I knew who Hank Azaria was. And so, yeah, like having him do this weird, like putting on this weird, like British voice as like a character, mm. and then obviously people not understanding why he was called the Blue Roger, and just like the constant explanations of exactly who his character was meant to be. Um, mm. You know, mm. that was you know. Uh, film. But yeah, I, I was going to say, and I, I, you know, obviously, other than like the Simpsons movie, um, I'm trying to think what else I saw him in. Um, I remember him being quite funny in Love and Other Drugs, where he like plays this doctor who starts mm-hmm. prescribing Viagra, and then Jake Gyllenhaal keeps hooking him up with all these like women. Um, he's like cheating on his wife, and this is just like a really weird, like sleazy doctor role. Um, that he plays in there. Um, yeah. I think Friends is one of the first things I remember. Oh, him. of course, yeah. yeah. People, people loved him as as David, the guy who has to go to Russia for some reason and can't come back. Like <laughs> that first episode has yeah. got very, very vague in exactly what's going on with his life that he has to vanish, and you know, obviously, then he does turn up to at the wrong time because then obviously Paul Rudd is fighting for the affections of Phoebe and he doesn't really stand a chance against Paul Rudd. Ageless Paul Rudd. Looks the same as he did now in, 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 in Clueless. It's insane. Um, yeah. But yeah. Now, I, you know, aside from the various uh, controversies, let's say, um, that Hank Azaria has been involved with, um, you know, he's always an enjoyable actor. Um, and, you know, the characters that he can play without attracting controversy let's say um you know like chief wiggum and mo and you know professor frank kind of like you know he's the, he's the one who came up with the the word glavin because he was just like coming up with the voice and 
you know, he was obviously trying to do that kind of Jerry Lewis voice. And then, you know, he started saying some nonsense words and the writers were kind of entertained by the fact that he said the word Glavin because they didn't they, they, they're like, what does that mean? And he's like, I don't know what it means. It's just like a weird thing <laughs> that some, this type of character would say. So like, you know, it sounds vaguely scientific, um, <laughs> you know, so that just became, I mean, in the 22 short films about Springfield, like when he just turns up at the end and he's missed his chance to have a, a story and he, he says, you know, the monkeys and the, the pulling and the, like just his kind of the delivery of that, you know, Obviously, why he's, I don't know, making 30 million a year sitting at home in a voice booth doing a bunch of Simpsons episodes every year. You know, he's a talented yeah. voice actor. Um, but I do kind of like how, I don't know, like he looks a lo- like so disheveled, uh, especially compared to like, you know, Martin Blank, who who is very stylish and dressed all in black and wears the shades. And then you've got the two like government workers and they basically look like they've, you know, put the suits on in the dark. Like it's, it's just like a very clever, like contrast between like somebody who's making money to like kill people and government agents who are, you know, they're making government money and they can't really afford afford, like fancy suits or anything like that. So they constantly look throughout the whole film, slightly disheveled and, you know, poor, Uh, which, yeah, I mean, you see, it's, you it's, see McCullough's cleaning his teeth at one point, right? Like, he's actually brushing his teeth in the car. Yeah. Like, they're sleeping <laughs> in the car as they're traveling around, yeah. Yeah, so it's a nice detail that these, like, the contract killers are the ones who are all, you know, dressed really well, and the government guys are all, like, sweaty and disheveled and wearing badly fitting suits and, you know, just looking mm-hmm. completely out of it. Uh, you know, it's a nice little, It's a nice little detail that the whoever the costume designer was, obviously managed to fit in. Okay. So, shall we call it there? Let's do Let's this. All right. This was Minute 24 of the Gross Plant Blank Podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, featuring your hosts, co-writers and co-producers, Dev Sullivan and myself, Hugh David. Today's guest was Darren Husted. You can find Darren at various places. Search for Darren Husted. That's H-U-S-T-E-D in your podcast catcher. And you'll find so many movies by minute podcasts (laughs) that Darren's been involved in. Uh, Meanwhile, you can find us on various podcast players as well as YouTube, Twitter, aka X, and Spotify. Look for at Debbie Radio. That's D-E-B-I Radio. And on our website, debbieradio.com, D-E-E-I, radio. Fantastic. And if you want to have a chat with us, check on out the listeners group on Facebook. It's called Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. So once again, one last time, D-E-B-I, radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time.